Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you. Uh, you can be seated. We're going to switch this order up real quickly. Um, there is a meeting needed, right, as we dismiss for all of the young'uns before they go upstairs to Sunday school. Sister Herring wants to talk to them for just a few moments. All right. So um, real important, all of you young men and young ladies, Sister Herring needs to talk to you for a few minutes. Praise the Lord. We, uh, we heard about Pastor Appreciation, the month of October. Please, I don't know if you can hear me. I'm saying double up, triple up. Just because somebody's got a date, don't go, oh, well, I wanted Thursday. Put your name down there. Find something to do that will bless your pastor and his wife. Amen. 30 years coming up on that celebration in March. You heard me announce that. I'm going to keep announcing it. In March, we will have a special visitor. We'll have Brother Josh Herring. And he will be preaching, and we will be celebrating the fact that our pastor and his wife, his whole family, has dedicated, they have sacrificed for this church, the Palmer Pentecostal Church. Amen. And I, I don't know, you don't hear me say this very often, but we just get so um, spoiled with Pastor Herring. I promise you, he gets calls weekly to go preach in other locations. They, they want him to come preach a revival in Fairbanks or come over here or go there. And he just says, no, I, I'm in Palmer. And he just wants to be here. So he has asked for a little bit of time in the month of August and, and September. We, uh, we are looking forward to very soon him coming back. A little more than a week. Praise the Lord. And uh, I know he'll be refreshed and, and ready to preach for a couple hours. You can't take, what's that? Got a lot of messages ready. I know he does. Come on. I'm looking forward to that. So just another week or so, you got to just tolerate the rest of us and me primarily. But I'm looking forward to him coming back. Thank you for your faithfulness while he's away. Amen, and um, God bless each and every one of you. So, you youngins are dismissed, and if you're remaining in the sanctuary for a few moments, please turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 13, and Brother Wes is going to preach. I'm looking forward to that. Just got something I want to share with you out of Genesis, a thought. So, we're just going to jump right in because of the sake of time. Verse 11 says, Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Now we know, as you read that setting of Scripture, that Lot was with Abram, and they had just been so blessed by God that they could not dwell together. Their numbers, the numbers of people, the numbers of, uh, uh, of animals and, and blessings, so they just, they started to have a little bit of trouble with each other. And, and so Abram, you know, the story says, Lot, I tell you what, because we can't dwell together because our numbers, you choose where you want to go and I'll go the opposite. I'm trying to hurry it up. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you and praise you and ask you, God, to bless us this day. 
Someone say in Jesus' name. You can be seated. So Lot chose to have Sodom in his backyard or his front yard. 14 and 12 of Genesis, it said that Lot, who dwelt, you have that, 14 and 12? And they took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom. So originally we found Lot looking, pitching his tent towards Sodom. One chapter later, now Lot is dwelling in Sodom. And it's um, not good. I want to talk just for a few moments about borders and boundaries and markers and landmarks and fences and walls. Just recently we talked about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and how important it was to put those walls up. They're not just to keep us in, Brother Justin, but they're to keep the enemy out. Boundaries are something the church should say, I want them, I need them, I need a line in the sand. Everybody needs a line in the sand. You leave a kid to themselves and you don't put a line. You don't tell them this is the boundaries, boy, young lady. If you can't be doing that in this house, then I promise you they'll do anything and everything. But with a boundary, we can learn what's right and what's wrong. And the church has got to have boundaries. There was a, a preacher young when I first came into church. Brother Kilgore, he has since passed away, an elder in the Lord, and wise beyond just understanding. He said, Brother Stacy, he said, never tear a fence down until you first know why someone put it up. And he was talking about boundaries for the church. And we're living in a day when everyone wants to tear down a boundary. They want to tear down a wall, and they want to, they want to push things. Even in the city of Wasilla, where we live, we live just outside the, the boundaries of the city. There are rules that I cannot build, you cannot build a structure right on the property line. You have to put some space between where the line is and where your house is. And we put a shed up there, and we're in the process of figuring out how to move that thing. You can't sell that house where it's at. Too many people live their lives, Brother West. They live their lives saying, how close can I get to the edge? How close can I be to the boundary line? I just, uh, it's not a matter of, I want to stay away from the ledge. And if you've been sheep hunting or, or out in the backwoods, when you get close to an edge, anything can happen. Brother Dave, you get real close to that precipice, right to that edge, it can give away. We shouldn't live for God right next to the edge. We should know where the boundary is. Know where the boundary is. Proverbs 22 verse 28 says, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Don't tear those things down. They're there for a purpose. Listen to how it says it in the Good News Bible. It's slow today. It says, never move an old property line that your ancestors established. Let that sink in for a second. 2020 does not mean, no, we're going to come in and we're going to change it all. No, our forefathers, our great, 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 great ancestors laid out boundaries. God's word declared, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Stay within the boundaries. 
Don't press your limit. 23.10 of Proverbs, the King James says, Remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. The Amplified says, Don't move the ancient landmark at the boundary of thy property. Hmm. Praise God. There are rules. It's not so much thou shalt not. We found out how that worked in the Old Testament. Right? Thou shalt not. But how about thou shalt? Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thou shalt try to live holy. Thou shalt try to be righteous and do the right thing. Thou shalt try to be pure in your heart and pure in your mind. And we can't do that when we move in those boundaries. We start going out there and adjusting and, and saying, you know what, I really could, I, I think we could take in this and we can get rid of this and move that and, and change that principle. And I think the pastor is outdated. I think he's out of touch. I think he should just get with the times. And uh, some of you are looking at me with a, just a blank stare in your face. And I don't want to leave this on a negative note for Brother West because I want him to preach because I know he's got the word of the Lord. But, uh, but if you're trying to move a boundary today, if you think it's okay to do something's wrong because society says it's not wrong anymore, church, you better look out. Church, you better look out. It's not up to the world to declare what's right for the church, but it's the word of God. The word of God declares what's right. Brother Larry the Word of God, Brother Jim says, you shouldn't get involved in that. Don't do this. Don't move the boundaries. Rivers need banks and they need borders. Psalm 147, 14, I'm finishing. He says, maketh, he maketh peace in thy borders and filleth thee with the finest of wheat. God blesses those who stay where they should stay. That was always a problem with the children of Israel. Got out of where they should be. Started changing things up. Ah, yeah, we can hang out with the Canaanites, the Philistines, and the Jebusites. We can just go out there and, and party and do whatever we want. And it just started with Lot. All he had to do was pitch his tent towards it. Wow, that looks pretty good. I think I'll go hang out there for a while. I'll go sit on the bar stool, but I won't drink. Isaiah 60, verse 18 says, Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders. Thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. Borders, church. We got to have borders. We got to have borders. Amen. You got to have those borders up. You got to keep those in place. You don't, and you're just like everybody else. I'm just like everybody else. God bless you. Brother Wes. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you for borders. Thank you for fences, Lord. Thank you for guidelines. Thank you for landmarks. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We would not be here this morning if it weren't for those boundaries. 
Amen, amen. We're going to go quickly to Mark chapter 1, and then I'll let you uh, be seated. I want to give honor to our pastor and our pastor's wife this morning. Just verbally indicate to all of you how much we love them, appreciate them. Their 30 years of dedication and service to this church has been amazing. And we're looking forward to however many more years they want to give, amen, and what God has in store for that. Can't wait for him to be back here in a couple of weeks, amen. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Simply read this way. I'll read off the screen so we can stay together. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare, everybody say prepare, thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, somebody say with me again, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not even worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost." Amen. How many are thankful for the Holy Ghost? How many believe that the day that you got baptized in Jesus' name, the day that he filled you with his spirit, was the best day of your life? I want to preach from that uh, second and third verse, just that word prepare this morning. Prepare. You can be seated in Jesus' name. When he references the prophets there, he's uh, directly quoting Malachi 3 and 1. If you're interested, you can mark that down and read it later. Malachi 3 and 1. Prepare. Somebody say prepare. There are two types of people in this world. Somebody already knows where I'm going with this. Uh, or maybe you don't. Maybe I'm going to put a little twist on it. Those who see a warning sign... And think, I need to slow down just in case. And those who view it as a sign to speed up so that I can make it through before whatever the warning is about happens. Those who hit their brakes at the moment that that green light turns just a tint of yellow. Any of those in here? And those who get a smile on their face as they accelerate through, <laughs> yeah, through the orange light, not the yellow light, the orangish one. And how many know that as long as you clear the intersection before it turns red, that wasn't a red light. Someone said amen. Those who pull into an auto repair shop in the minute that that check engine light comes on, and those who have a roll of black tape in their car, come on, somebody help me preach. 
tear off a little piece and put it right over that sucker and keep on trucking until she smokes. <laughs> Consider last week that in Detroit it was reported that a driver approaching a drawbridge failed to slow down as the warning lights flashed, Brother Plale, and that drawbridge had already started to raise. All the other cars had stopped, and this guy got a smile on his face. Literally, Dukes of Hazard. it's in the police report. It literally says Dukes of Hazard in the police report. And he sped up as he passed the warning sign, and he accelerated up the ramp, and he flew through the air. Landing on the other side, crashing into the embankment. He wasn't injured, except for his wallet he had to pay for all the repairs and the fines that he got. Some people see warning signs and go, oh no, danger. Some people see them and say, challenge accepted. Anyone ever encounter one of those construction signs that says, prepare to stop? That has got to be the most discouraging sign in the entire world. It's not enough that you're about to get stopped by construction for some undetermined amount of time. Can they put a timer up that just says, you've got, you got about 32 minutes left to wait. You're just sitting there going, I'll get to the peninsula when I get there. I have no idea if this is a half hour wait or two hour wait. Just a little timer would be great, wouldn't it? But the fact that they are telling you ahead of time, prepare to stop. Oh, oh no. Here we go. Prepare. Somebody say prepare. Pre means before. Don't mean to be Captain Obvious this morning, but pre means before. In other words, get ready before. Prepare. Anyone ever know someone who would cram for that big test the night before? Stay up all night just trying to cram stats and, and statistics into their mind, and then they get a bad grade, and they're complaining about it, and you're going, I don't have a lot of sympathy for you. You knew that test was coming for weeks, and you chose to prepare the night before. You knew the test was coming, but you did not prepare. My kids are at the age where they want to learn how to play an instrument. Let me rephrase that. They want to play an instrument. And they do not want to do the pre-work required to learn how to play the instrument. They just want to play the instrument. They get frustrated. Mom, I want to play this song or that song because they hear it in choir or whatever. And mom says, okay, here's a chord book. We're going to sit down. When you memorize these chords, the very basics, then we'll have our first lesson. They'll sit down for a couple of minutes, tinker on the piano, and then they're gone. Boom. Because they can't play the song and they're frustrated. Because let's face it, when you say the word prepare, it's just not exciting, Brother Plale. Nobody shouted and ran the aisles when I announced my sermon title this morning, Prepare. Woo, good one, brother. Stick it to me. 
It's not exciting. It's not fun. It's not the main event. It's just the preparation. It's the pre. It's the before. It's leading up to. It's work. Preparing. Anybody moose hunting right now? Preparing to go moose hunting is work. And the work part is not the fun part. Shooting the big bull moose is the fun part. But how many have ever gone on a long moose hunt without preparing? Not fun. Wasn't fun, was it? Ever forgot something before you went on the hunt, Brother David? Oh, no. We have no bullets. Woo! <laughs> that was a long drive for nothing, right? That's miserable. Brother Playl, did you ever run a marathon without preparing? You know what? I'm just going to wake up and go for it today. Yes, you have. <laughs> Wrong person to ask. Never mind. <laughs> Love you, brother. Several suffered immensely. If you had prepared, though, the ones that you prepared for were the ones where you put a time on the board, right? Preparation is not usually fun, but it's always necessary. And in this passage that we read, I see John the Baptist, and he's standing on the brink of history. And he's about to preach one of the greatest announcements that this world has ever heard. And He's the chosen one, and he's the forerunner, and he's announcing Jesus, the Messiah that has been prophesied for thousands of years. And he's worked up, Brother Brad, his very best sermon. He's got his very best camel hair suit on. <laughs> and I've always heard that John the Baptist was a bad dude, that he drank nitrous for breakfast and ate nails, and he was just tough and I wonder, though, if he didn't have a little throw up on his camel hair suit before he came out to preach that morning. Oh, man, they don't want to hear this. I've got a sermon to preach. I know I've got to preach it, but they don't want to hear this. And he's got his best sermon put together, and guess what it's called? Prepare. And he steps up, gets the microphone. <clears throat> Prepare! Jesus is coming. And he preaches a gum barrel straight to use our pastor's words. He starts baptizing people and he's feeling good and everybody's coming. And he even gets to baptize Jesus himself. What an honor. He baptizes him in the Jordan River. But apparently not everybody was excited to hear the sermon called Prepare. Because Herod says, I don't like that sermon. Go get him. Put him in jail. I don't like that revival that they're having. I can see John sitting in prison going, what? Why am I here? I just said, prepare. I'm not the one that they want. I'm just the forerunner. They really want the one who's latched who, who, the latching of whose shoes I am unworthy to even unloose. Not me. I just preached prepare. Someone say prepare. Before. Before. Every single day in America, there are 44,000 commercial airliner flights. 44,000. Brother Playl, do you know what they do before every single flight takes off? 
pre-flight safety briefing. 44,000 times a day, this FAA required safety briefing. Brother Scott, you heard one before you flew up last week from Denver. They got on and, and they gave the same exact safety briefing that they've given for years. There are six emergency, air, uh, emergency exits on this aircraft. Take a minute to find the exit that's closest to you. Keep in mind that the exit nearest you may be behind you. Should the captain experience sudden loss of pressure, oxygen mask will drop down from above your seat. Place the oxygen mask over your nose, strap behind your head, continue to breathe normally. Anybody going to do that? No. <laughs> I'm going to be screaming. Ah! Breathe normally. Make sure that your mask is on before you help the person next to you. While you're seated, make sure your seatbelt securely fastened. In the unlikely event of a water landing, Brother Anthony, grab the life vest that's under your seat. Put it on. Strap around the waist. Buckle it securely before stepping out of the aircraft into the water. 44,000 times a day, exit seatbelt, face mask. Um, what's the other one? Life vest. Exit seatbelt, face mask, life vest. 44,000 times a day. And on the afternoon of January 15, 2009, Brother Anthony was no different for flight 1549 as it took off from LaGuardia Airport, carrying 150 passengers and five crew members. The flight went through the required checklist and provided the safety briefing to the 150 passengers that were on board for the plane. And as the captain pushed the throttle forward at 3.25 p.m., brought the plane up to speed, climbed above 2,000 feet, they lifted off on a beautiful, crisp, clear 19-degree day. Two minutes after taking off, they reached 2,800 feet. They struck a flock of Canadian geese who were flying at an unusual time of the year at an unusual altitude. They were lost. Let's put it that way. A bird struck each engine. Both engines immediately go out before the plane had reached altitude and reached speed. And immediately, Captain Sullenberger, who would later become known as Captain Sully, radioed air traffic control with the emergency, initially asking for clearance to return to the airport. Quickly realizing he didn't have the altitude or the speed, he said, the now infamous words, will be in the Hudson, indicating that he was about to proceed to try to land this falling jumbo jet on the river. At 329, Sullenberger addressed the cabin and the passengers who were frightened for the very first time, and he said, this is the captain, prepare for impact, brace, brace, brace. And less than a minute later, the plane went down in the water, coming to a stop, floating on the Hudson River, if you want to see pictures of it, just Google it. No one was seriously injured, thank the Lord. And with, within seconds the, the, of the water landing, the crew opens the door, Brother Brad, and they're trying to get people out onto the wings. And the first boat arrives at 3.34, and five minutes after the crash landing, they're loading people onto a plane. And within 20 minutes, more boats are coming and loading people onto the boat. And they save everybody off of the plane. But the FAA has been studying this for 10 years. Looking back at the fact that upon 
crashing into the water, a scenario that was warned about in the safety briefing less than five minutes ago. Only 11 people grabbed a flotation device on the way out of the plane into the ice-cold 19-degree weather floating on the Hudson River. Despite those warnings, despite the fact that just a few moments ago they had received the instructions on what to do in the event of a water landing of the 150 souls, only 11, including the flight crew, grabbed either a life vest or their seat cushion before they stood on the wings of the airplane that was slowly sinking in the river. More than 90% of the crew and 90% of the passengers failed to follow the basic instructions. And of the 11, only four managed to properly strap the life vest on. Remember the last step? They wrap it around the waist and they click it. Only four people managed to take that step. The FAA concluded in their initial findings that while the flight crew had given the proper instructions before takeoff, the warning to prepare had very little effect at all. Some of the passengers even could not swim, but stood on the wings of the aircraft, crying out for their life in fear of drowning, while the life vest was right behind them where they had just left. Seems like some, such a simple thing to do, grab a life vest while you're running out the door. And for the past decade, the FAA has studied this, and they noted that the suddenness of the event and the fact that the warning had been given so many times without it actually ever happening, that the passengers were in total shock that they did not follow the simple life-saving measures that had been reviewed just moments ago. And Brother Playo, as I read that, my mind immediately went to the spiritual application. As I read the account of John the Baptist stepping onto the scene prior to Jesus' arrival and declaring emphatically, prepare, get ready, Jesus is coming. He was preaching to a group that had heard for centuries from the prophets that the Messiah was returning, dozens of prophecies. I wonder how many times they heard Grandpa preach, get ready, Jesus is coming. I wonder how many times the prophet stood behind the pulpit and declared, Jesus is coming, prepare. How many times did they nod their head and acknowledge the flight attendant? Hey Amen, I hear the safety briefing. I hear the sermon that the Messiah is coming soon. And I need to have me and my house ready. I wonder if some of them were like the flight passengers of flight 1549. Going through that safety briefing saying, yeah, that's great to know we have safety features. It's really good to know there's a, a life vest in the event that we land in the water, but it's never happened in the history of mankind, so big deal. Someday that might happen. Someday Jesus might come back. Someday I might need what the preacher preached from this pulpit. 
Oh, and I'm not here to be all dramatic this morning and play to your emotions. But when I look at this world today, I fear that we have heard the safety briefings for so many years. Oh, I remember when Grandpa used to preach it in the 70s. I remember that sermon in the 80s. Oh, don't get me wrong. We believe that he's coming back, but he's coming back some glad morning. Not today. I wonder today if the passengers for the Stacia Flight 1549 had known before they took off, this flight will be landing in the Hudson. Prepare. Let's go over some safety announcements before we land on the Hudson River. I wonder if they would have acted a little bit differently as the safety briefing was given. Let me make it personal today. How would we respond if we knew the date, time, and the hour that Jesus would return? That it was today or tomorrow, next week? Would we listen to the safety briefing that comes across this pulpit just a little bit closer? When the preacher steps to the pulpit and says, prepare, Jesus is coming, would we listen a little bit closer when he says, you've got to get your heart right. You've got to make sure your heart is right. You've got to get that unforgiveness out of your heart. You're not going to make it to heaven with that unforgiveness. You've got to get it out of your heart. That person is not worth going to hell over. You've got to get that out of your heart. Hear this preacher, my earthly dad, and I don't mean this in an offensive manner, but I'm just calling it like it is. He was a train wreck, and he abused his kids and spent half of my life in prison for it. But I made up my mind 20 years ago that I'm not allowed to, about to let what he did be the reason that I don't make it to heaven. In fact, nobody and nothing in this world is worth missing heaven for. I forgave him. I never trusted him. But I forgave him and I moved on because I knew that no matter what yesterday held, I need to make sure that I'm prepared, that I'm ready when Jesus comes back. If we knew that God was coming back today, how would it change our prayer life? How would it change our worship? How would you witness to that lost loved one? If I knew that he was coming back in 30 minutes, would I keep that bitterness in my heart? Would I leave that unforgiveness in my heart? Would I hold on to that grudge? Or would my heart be overwhelmed with love and compassion for each and every person in this world? Would I keep that sin in my life that I've held on to? And I've heard the safety briefing time after time say, Warning! Warning! Prepare. Or would I find an altar today to say, God, cleanse my heart of everything. I need you in my life. Jesus is coming, and I believe it's going to happen very soon. The clock of eternity is going to strike midnight. 
when that happens, what in this world will really be important in that split second when I'm stepping on the ground and then I'm stepping on a cloud and I'm stepping on streets of gold? What in this world will really be important to me then? The only thing that will be important is am I prepared for his return? When Peter stood up to give the safety briefing on the day of Pentecost, those that heard the sermon, those that saw the outpouring of God's Spirit, said, Peter, verse 37, if you would, do I trust you? I just want to know, how do I prepare? They were pricked in their hearts, said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter says, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you what the safety manual says. Verse 38, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. I'll go to the next verse in just a minute, but you can put it up. This morning, no, I can't tell you that he's coming back in 30 minutes. But I can tell you, I look at this world and I see a whole lot of mess that resembles a whole lot of prophecies in the Bible. My Bible says, when you see these things start coming to pass, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. And in the spirit, I can see the minute hand inching closer to midnight. Perhaps just a couple more ticks of the clock and it's all over. This world is on a collision course with destiny. And it's time that we get serious about the safety briefing. It's time that we get serious about our salvation. Right at the end of Peter's salvation message briefing, he gives this command. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Well, I've got to make sure that so-and-so has oxygen and so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm asking you today, start with uno, numero one. Start with yourself and make sure I'm ready. Make sure I'm prepared. Any parents ever gone on a trip with your kids and you're scrambling to make sure they've got everything ready and you're just scrambling and trying to get stuff ready and it's five minutes before you got to leave and you go, oh man, my backpack isn't even ready. I have nothing packed. Save yourself. And then save when it came down to it, Peter said, you've seen the outpouring of God's Spirit. You've seen the miracles. I've preached to you the message of salvation. Now you've got to act upon it yourself. Now you're responsible for what I've preached to you because you now know it. You're the one responsible for your salvation. Grandma isn't going to do it for you. Your mom, your dad won't do it for you. Save Paul wrote to the church, not to the unchurched, he wrote to the church 
at Philippi, chapter 2, verse 12. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean that you can do something to save yourself, literally. That means that God has made salvation available to whosoever will, and it's up to me if I'm going to participate in it or not. Prepare. Somebody say prepare. Before. Pre. Prepare. Prepare means to cut down, to trim down. Perhaps there are some things in your heart today where you say, man, I need to cut some things away from my heart. Make sure that I'm ready for when God comes back. I can see the minute hand and the clock, Brother Plale. And one more tick, and all of my worries and fears aren't going to matter anymore. My problems aren't going to matter anymore. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago where I got my sermon from. And I'm going to tell everybody right now where I got my sermon from. Are you ready for this? That clock right there has been 15 minutes till midnight for the last month. It needs a battery. Somebody put a battery in it. One more click. And it's all. I wish I knew the date because I would go around telling everybody. I'd be that guy. Do you know that God's coming back at 7.23 p.m.? That's not how this works. <laughs> but no man knows the day or the hour. If I knew as you stand, I would be praying, God, forgive me for not praying more. Forgive me for not fasting more, Lord. Forgive me for not witnessing more with urgency. Forgive me for not making more phone calls and sending more text messages to encourage people during the week. Forgive me for not worshiping more, for not being in the house of God more. Forgive me for not loving more, not caring more, not reaching more, not serving more, not giving more. Forgive me for looking down my nose at broken people who need you, God. And I pray that you would open my heart with compassion for each and every person. I can see the minute hand about to strike midnight. I ask you what will be important then. And if it won't be important then, then why is it that it's so outright important in our lives right this minute? It's time. It's time to pray. It's time to work together. It's time to serve. It's time to volunteer. It's time to give. It's time to draw nigh to God. Somebody say prepare. Prepare. Prepare isn't exciting, brother. Kind of a turn off even when you mentioned your sermon title. I know, but you know what is exciting? The thought of spending eternity in heaven with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we don't get that privilege, we don't get that honor unless we are prepared.
with a Pleo this morning, there are about 110,000 people in the Matanuska Valley. And if I thought back to flight 1549, more than 90% of people not taking heed of the safety briefing. I wonder if more than 90% of the 110,000 aren't sitting at home right this very minute. I don't know what the numbers are. I just did a little poll as we drove out of my subdivision this morning. 100 houses. Didn't see any lights on at all. Every car in the parking lot. Every car in the driveway. Oh, I don't know how much time we have left. I've just simply come with what is perhaps an old-fashioned message that wouldn't get any airtime anywhere to say, prepare. Whatever that means in your heart right now, maybe you've already received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Maybe you've already been baptized in Jesus' name. But it's been a long time since you come to the altar and just poured your heart out to him and said, God, cleanse me. God, take this and take that, and you can have that junk, and I don't want to deal with that anymore. I want nothing between me and you, God. This altar is open right now. And if you're here this morning and you're hearing this Acts 2.38 message for the first time, And you've never been baptized in Jesus' name. This preacher stands up here and very humbly asks, would you consider being baptized today? Would you consider being baptized today? Oh, hallelujah. Nobody can prepare for you. That's the key here. Nobody can do it for you. Come on, church.